Now we'll turn our attention to the word of God. And we will look at John chapter six. We'll read a large portion of scripture. Obviously, I won't be going uh, verse by verse by it, but we will uh, get the gist of it. John six, verses 22 through 70. And let us stand as we listen to God's word. Now let us hear God's word. John 6, beginning at verse 22. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set the seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I shall lose nothing, but shall raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur amongst yourself. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the Father lives, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this saying, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no man can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. May the Lord add a blessing to his holy word. Amen. Please be seated. Well, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we we do thank you that we can come and hear your word preached. Lord, it's by the foolishness of preaching that men and women are saved. And Lord, we thank you that um, we can hear the bread of life broken. And we pray now, Lord, that you would center our attention so that we might hear what you have to tell us. Be with us and bless us during this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, my first page, I must have left at home in the printer, but <laughs> this, this is one of those, uh, oh, you know, open your mouth and the Lord will fill it, so. <laughs> in, in, in the military, um, one of the words that we hear often is the word mission. Uh, it is talked about all the time. Uh, we use words like mission essential, mission capable, mission ready, mission accomplishment, uh, mission fulfillment. Every base, every ship, every uh, place you go, there is a mission statement. And that is important because the mission really centers what you want to do and keeps you on focus and keeps you on task so that um, you will not get off, um, off the beaten path. And today we see in our text that Jesus had a mission. Uh, Pastor Eric preached last week about the plan that Jesus had and that his plan was fulfilled perfectly. And today we see Jesus' mission. And yet we see here that 
He does an astounding miracle, an amazing miracle. He feeds uh, 5,000 besides the uh, children and the women. So it was probably somewhere between 10 and 15,000 people who ate bread. And if you put yourself in the shoes of the typical Jewish person at that time, that was very exciting because at that time they were um, under the rule of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, uh, they had no freedom. They had no um, uh, uh, protection. Uh, they, were, they had to pay taxes to the Roman Empire. They had to uh, obey the Roman Empire, and they were frustrated and angry about it. You had publicans and tax collectors who would uh, ex- exhort and who would uh, steal and, and basically uh, take money from innocent people, um, extracting much more money than they ought to. And so they were very frustrated. So when Jesus does this great miracle, there's excitement that's taking place. There is uh, happiness. There's joy. Finally, we have someone who is going to deliver us from Caesar, from the Roman Empire, from uh, the oppressive reign of the Romans. And it says there that at one point early in John that they were going to by force, take him by force and make him to be a king. If you were doing an approval poll at that time, Jesus' approval rating would be about 90, over 90%. Everyone would be in the Jesus camp. Everyone would say that Jesus is, is wonderful and amazing. His popularity is great. Everyone loves him and so on. He's our, he's our Messiah in a sense. He's going to be our king. He's going to be our political ruler. He's going to give us bread. All of these things they thought was going to take place. However, that was not Jesus' mission. And so this, today we want to uh, just uh, look for a few minutes at how Jesus uh, explains to them what his mission is. And so the first thing we hear is the conversation that he has with the Jews in verses uh, 22 through um, 27, really. Uh, 20, excuse me, 22 to 29. First of all, notice that they went looking for him. And when they found him in verse 25, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus, who was omniscient, who knows all, understood where they were going with this. And immediately before uh, the first word he says is he uh, frustrates their plans because he says there in verse 26, most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. In other words, you're here not because I'm the Messiah, not because of the great miracle I did. You're here because you're hungry and you want me to feed you and you want me to uh, meet all of your carnal and fleshly needs. And so he immediately uh, diverts them, he immediately stops them in their tracks, that he is not the king who uh, they thought he was. He's not going to do what they think he's going to do. He has another mission in place there. And that's why he says, don't labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which leads to eternal life. And it's interesting that the Jews say there in verse 28, well, tell us, what is the work of God that we may do? What work do we have to do? Tell us what we need to do so that we might uh, work the work of God. They immediately went to works. 
And Jesus, again, frustrates them because he says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Perhaps they thought it was going to have to maybe go to more temple worship or more do more uh, uh, uh Work and as far as uh, in the temple or 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 do something. What work would they have to do to work the work of God? And Jesus says, "Believe on me." Well, then immediately they start to change in their attitude towards Jesus because they say, "All right, Jesus, let's let's not get crazy here." Because, all right, you did a nice miracle. That's nice, but Moses did miracle forty years. He gave us bread every single day. You gave us bread one day. And now you're telling us that we need to believe on you? Well, show us this sign. Show us who you are. Why should we believe on you? And Jesus corrected them. That it wasn't Moses that gave that bread. If you go back and you read in the Old Testament, God uh, directed Moses and, and, and God rained the manna down from heaven. And Moses was the one that uh, shared God's rules and God's laws regarding it. But even Jesus says there in verse 32 that Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. And then it said, OK, now we're back on track. Well, verse 33. Well, if that's the case, verse 34 well, then give us this bread always. That's what we're talking about. We want this bread. Tell us how we can get this bread from heaven. That's what we want. And then Jesus frustrates him again. I am the bread of life. Uh, he who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. At that point, the Jews, they threw up their hands. What, he, what is he talking about? He's the bread of life. We want physical bread. We want political freedom. We want um, you to uh, do what Moses did. You're not greater than our father Moses. What do you mean that we are the bread of life? And then my second point is that Jesus explains what the bread of life is. Jesus explains that he came to save sinners. He says there in um, uh, verse 35, I'm the bread of life who comes down, who comes to me, uh, shall never hunger. and He who believes in me shall never thirst. In other words, he's the Messiah. He is coming to give not physical life, but spiritual life, eternal life. And he says it over and over again. This is the will of the Father in verse 39, that he who sent me, that of all he has given me, I shall lose nothing, but shall raise it up at the last day. In verse uh, 40, this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in me may have everlasting life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So Jesus is talking about here is salvation. I've come not to give you physical bread. The physical bread only represented the spiritual bread. I've come to give you eternal life. I've come to give you freedom. I've come to uh, save you from your sins. And that's not what the Jews were thinking about that time. They were focused. They were stuck on this political freedom. You know, if you think about even in our country in America, we have uh, we've been blessed with the great Christian heritage. But if you hear people talk today about, especially even on the conservative uh, side, uh, if, if you hear them talk, you ask them about Christianity and faith, they say, yes, it's great. We love it because of the freedoms that we have. 
We're Americans. Of course, we hold to Judeo-Christian principles. Of course, we believe in the freedom of religion. And of course, we believe in these things. In other words, Christianity is attached to the United States, attached to the American mindset, attached to who we are as Americans. Of course, we're Christians. We're Americans. Of course, we believe our heritage, our, our, our foundation, our background is Christianity. So we believe, but there's no personal a relationship that is mentioned there. And then on the other side, when you talk about uh, the liberals and the Democrats and so on, you hear them talk, you talk more about that Jesus is more inclusive. He's more um, inviting. He, you, he, you can come just as you are and stay as you are. There's no judgment there. And so each side has their own agenda, and they try to force Jesus into their own agenda, just as the Jews were doing here. And so Jesus is, is explaining to them that he is the bread of life, that he has come to save sinners. And it says in verse 43 that they were murmuring, they were complaining, they were arguing. And notice what Jesus says in 44, no one can come to me unless the Father sends me, draws him. He's saying the reason why you're murmuring, the reason why you're complaining, the reason why you're upset is because you can't come to me unless I draw you. Here we have the, the uh, great doctrine of election, the great doctrine of uh, inability, that Jesus says that unless God opens up our ears and our hearts and our minds, we cannot come to him. That no one can come to me. It's impossible. We cannot come unless God draws him. Why can't we come? Many people think that we could come at any time. Why can't we come? Well, the reason why is because, first of all, our hearts are opposed to Christ. We, by nature, have enmity against God. Secondly, the natural man receives not the things of God. He doesn't enjoy it. Just like they, we, they find it to be foolish. They find it to be silly. They find it to be not um, true, not to be accurate, and so on. And then, secondly, the devil himself Blinds, it says in 2 Corinthians 4, that he blinds our eyes and our hearts and our minds so that we cannot see. To the natural man, to the natural woman, this is foolishness. The word of God is foolish. The gospel is foolishness. The Bible is foolish. This whole thing is foolish. I feel sorry for you that you, are, that you believe this stuff, that you believe this old book that was written and people have changed it and it's not true and so on. It's foolish. It's nonsense. There's so many errors in the Bible. There's so many things not right about the scriptures. There's so many things that are wrong. Do you realize that we're a scientist? We're, we've got evolution. Uh, we believe in science. We believe in the power of science and the, in the, in the, um, in the will of science, that's what's important. Not this book. This book is superstition. It's false. It's a lie and so on. This is what is being taught. And this is why Jesus said, no one can come to me. But then he turns around in verse 40. He says, what? He says, he who believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up the last day. Verse 47. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Wait a minute. At one point, he says, no man can come to me. But then he says, come to me. Is Jesus talking out both sides of his mouth? How do we reconcile that? How can he says, whosoever will, let him come. And then he says, no man can come. That seems to be a, uh, a, that, 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 that seems to be a, a big issue, a big problem. How can we reconcile that? Well, according to Charles Spurgeon, we cannot. 
The sovereignty of God and responsibility of man are like two parallel lines in the Bible, he says. And they never reconcile. They're both there. It's true. No man can come. But it's also true that whosoever will, let him come. That Jesus invites us and it's, and it's real. And it's, he tells us not to worry about whether we're elect or not. Some people say, well, I can't come because I don't know if I'm elect. And the Bible says nonsense. God invites us to come. And so he tells us if we believe in him, he has everlasting life. So this is his mission, to come to share the gospel, to preach the gospel, to save sinners. As Apostle Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And as they were murmuring and complaining, he says there in verse 50, um, actually in verse Oh, let's see. Verse, oh, verse 49, he says, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. You know, Jesus was, was saying there is that, you know, for 40 years you guys had manna to eat. And how did that work? Were you content? Were you satisfied with this bread which you won again? Were you satisfied with Moses? Were you satisfied with what happened? If you read Numbers, you see that they murmured and they complained. They were tired of the bread. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to eat the leeks and the onions and the garlic and all these other things. We're tired of this bread. Not only were they tired of the bread, Jesus reminds them that they had priests, they had kings, they had this, this political freedom that they so badly wanted. They had it all throughout the Old Testament. They had all this time to get it right. And yet we see that God destroyed them because of their sins. And they were captured by the Babylonians and other foreign nations. And so Jesus says this, that that your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead. In other words, I am the bread of life. I am the prophet, priest, and king. And he tells us, The same thing today, that he is the bread of life, that the problem is not more money, more economic freedom, more economic power, not more things. Our problem is this, is that we need Jesus Christ, that our souls are hungry, are starving, and the natural man and woman's souls are starving. That's why they're never satisfied. That's why they're never content. That's why they say, oh, I'm tired of this. If I could get a new spouse, maybe that will solve my problems. If I get a new job, if I get more money, if I get this and I get that, all these things they're looking at. But the problem is this, that nothing in this world can satisfy. And that's why Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I've come to feed your starving, hungry souls. And then from verses 51 to 58, Jesus even frustrates them more. Because he starts talking about in verse 53, if you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Surely they were saying in verse 52, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? That sounds like cannibalism. What does that mean? Well, it's just another way of Jesus saying that we have to have faith in him. We have to believe him. We have to receive him. And in one sense, here we are harvest, we are a body of believers, You're, we fellowship together, 
You guys are close. You pray for each other. You corporately come. You worship. You listen to the sermons. You sing. You you do all these things. You take the Lord's Supper and all these things. And that's great. But it's not enough because you have to individually, personally partake of the bread of life. You have to eat it for yourself. You have to ingest it for yourself. In one sense, Jesus lives within us. And because of that, we come and we Gathered together as a body. Why? Because of redeemed sinners. And Jesus has had to do that to us individually. This past week I was eating lunch and I was sitting with my commanding officer and another person. They started talking about barbecuing and the smokers that they had. These, I mean, they don't get like the $300 smokers. They were talking about smokers for three and $4,000. These, these guys were, um, they're professional grillers. And they were talking about all of the different things. I was, just, I was just lost. I was just eating, just listening to them. But they were talking about all of the different uh, aspects of grilling and so on. They were talking about grilling brisket and how you, how you grill it and how you marinate it and how you have to let it set. And then you grill it this way and that way and so on. And then after that, it tastes so delicious. Well, you think about this. Maybe some of you are grillers and you grill a steak. Just big juicy ribeye steak and you got the you know you grill it you got the lines from the grill on there and all the juices are flowing out and you present it here is this beautiful steak what do you do with it do you say oh this steak looks so good I don't want to eat it I'm just going to look at it it's going to let the aroma just come up to my nose oh yes (laughs) Mm, that looks good is that what steaks are meant to be? No. You're supposed to eat it. You're supposed to ingest it. You're supposed to say your grace first. Then you get your fork and knife and you eat it. Because that steak does what? It just matches your taste bud. You close your eyes. You chew it slowly. And you enjoy the steak. Because it's perfectly cooked. And you enjoy every bite of it. And that's what Jesus is sort of saying here. That we are to... In that sense, feed upon him because he is what satisfies our souls. He is what uh, we need to be able to enjoy. That's why he tells us that eat his flesh and drink his blood. Every other Sunday when the Lord's Supper is here, it's just a reminder. It's just a reminder that we are to feed upon Christ daily, that we are to eat upon him daily, that we are to feed on his bread and, and his body And his flesh and and the blood is just a reminder that he died on the cross for us. It's a reminder that his blood covers our sin. It's a reminder that that um, that that he is ours and we are his and that we are uh, with him and he is with us. Well, this is Jesus presentation. Well, what's the answer? Well, here's here's the answer there. In verse 61, they complained. They complained about this. This, this, None of this made sense. They came to make Jesus a king. They came to get manna and bread and so on. But it says there in verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. These were the same people who were so excited to follow Jesus. They were the same people who were who were. behind Jesus and was for Jesus and so on. But after hearing this, after hearing what 
Jesus required after hearing what his message was. Here they have an offer for eternal life. Here they have an opportunity to be saved. Here they have the opportunity to have something greater than physical bread, greater than to be a political king. And they turn back from following Jesus. They turn back from following him. And how many turn back from following Christ? You know, and as a chaplain, a lot of my counseling is with unbelievers, most of it, really. And one of the things I hear, we start talking about faith was, yeah, I used to be a Christian, but God did not do X, Y, Z, so I no longer believe. How many come to Christ with those expectations? Maybe if we come to Christ, he will heal me of my sickness. Maybe he'll fix my marriage. Maybe I'll get this job. Maybe it'll be some economic success or political success or whatever it is, we come. But the problem is that we want to put Jesus on our uh, plans instead of us following Jesus. And we see this happens over and over again. And once it doesn't happen, what do we do? We say, we're no longer interested in following Jesus. This is why Jesus hid himself. He understood who the true believers were. He understood what was going on. He understood these things. He understood who was for him and who was not. And I would think that maybe here, while we don't apostatize like they do, we don't turn away from following Jesus. But perhaps there is something in our lives that we're angry with Jesus. We won't admit it like Jonah. God asked Jonah, would you do well to be angry? And perhaps we're frustrated. Things haven't gone the way that we thought they should go. Things haven't gone the way that um, they had planned to go. And while we're frustrated at the circumstances, oftentimes we won't admit it, but we're frustrated with God. Because, God, you haven't done anything. Why won't you do something? And what would Jesus tell us? What would he say to us if we're in that boat today? Well, we're angry and upset because he has not done what we asked him to do. He would tell us that I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. In other words, he says, feed upon me. I am more than enough. I am more than sufficient than whatever problem that you have. I can't remember uh, his name, but um, uh, Larry Crabb, I was listening to him. Larry Crabb, was, he was um, speaking of, a, of an elderly man who lost his wife. And obviously, they've been married for many years, and he was devastated. He told Larry Crabb, he told him this. He says, I feel a lot of pain in losing my wife. He said, but since I lost my wife, Christ's presence and his grace has more than made up for the loss of my wife. I still hurt, but what Christ has done for me has been amazing. 
And he told uh, Larry Crabb this when he was early on in his ministry. He says, preach Christ, make much of Christ, because he's more than sufficient. And then Christ would tell us also this, that instead of us seeking to have Christ get on our plan, he would tell us we need to get on his plan. We need to get on his mission. When we became a Christian, what did we say? I surrender all to you, Jesus. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Well, you find out that's easier said than done. But Jesus is doing that in our lives. He is taking uh, that and he is making us more like him. And to make us more like him, sometimes he has to cut things that we might like. Sometimes he has to put us in frustrating positions and so on. And perhaps the issue is whatever that we're so angry about or so upset about, perhaps it is because that has become an idol in our heart. And Christ has to take that idol from us. So Jesus says he is the bread of life. And it's interesting because he asked the 12, would you go away? And what did Peter say? So, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else for us to go as Christians. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. That's what Job says. Even though many reject Jesus, Peter says, you have the words to eternal life. Jesus says that, uh, that he will lose none of those who God has given. How important that is. That we realize that we stay rooted and grounded in Jesus. That Jesus is our only hope. That no matter what is happening in our lives, no matter how difficult it is, that Jesus has the words to eternal life. And that is the most important thing. Whatever we lose, as long as we keep Jesus, we have everything. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for just a reminder that you are the bread of life. Help us to feed upon you daily. Help us to walk with you. Help us to realize that you're more than enough. Help us to be nourished by you. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would keep us close to you. Thank you for this message in Jesus' name. Amen.